0: Welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. My name is David Angel and today I'm sitting down with Katie Saunders, and general manager of marketing at Simplot Australia. And Katie's been at Simplot for over seven years prior to which she was with Heinz and Lion, so a grocery FMCG person through and through. Mm-hmm. Um, so welcome Katie and thanks very much for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me David.
0: No worries. Now um, let's talk first off about um, role diversity because Having just said that you're an FMCG person through and through, you might have noticed I didn't actually say FMCG marketer Mm. through and through. And that's because during your career, um, you've actually held a diverse range of product and category leadership roles as well as marketing. So I'm really interested in that, to understand what the overlaps between those roles have been Mm. um, and the the diversity. How has the diversity of of your own experience helped you in marketing particularly?
1: Yeah, so... um That is a true statement. I have had a very diverse uh, career. I did start out in pretty much very, you know, traditional classical brand management um, with my first role being an assistant brand manager. And I worked on Razzmatazz actually, Razzmatazz Hosiery. Yeah. Um, Fantastic product (laughs) and um, and was one of my my most favorite brands that I've ever worked on. So uh, I was lucky enough to really have quite a um, classical trajectory from assistant brand manager, brand manager, work my way through what brand management was and it wasn't until I got to Lion and um, I worked on a terrific um, category, the juice category there. And uh, it was a category that was, and, and I understand still very challenged from um, a profit point of view. You know, mm-hmm. it was really hard. The produce, the from the raw material through to manufacturing in Australia to sort of selling it um, in value evaluated way was really difficult. And so um, I was part of a project team at the time that um, looked at shutting one of our manufacturing sites. And as a marketer, being on that team, I had no idea what my role would be. And I started to quickly understand more around the impact marketing was having on the P&L. Yeah. You know, our investment strategies, um, you know, understanding. And this sounds really obvious probably to most people that are going to listen to this, but when you're a, a young marketer coming up, kind of had no idea of the impact that my decisions were making on the factory yeah. um, and definitely from a P&L perspective. In fact, back then you really didn't look much below sort of your, you know, profit, the first profit um, yeah. level of the P&L. So to understand anything at EBIT just wasn't yeah. on the radar. So things like, um, you know, the number of bottles we were sending down the line and the stopping and the, the changing of all of that, Um, And so I I went to the factory, of course, which I had been many times, and I started to really understand the impact we were having um, from that sort of real commercial lens. And I became quite passionate about it. I was really curious, um, but it was a part of the the job that I'd never really been exposed to Mm. And, and understanding the ins and outs of the factory, but not just how the product's made, but the financial impact it was having. And so from there, um, I actually was fortunate enough to move into a much more commercial role. Um, from that really great experience of that, I was twelve months on that project team, um, and again working with many more finance-based people. Yeah. Um, and I so so from there, I sort of worked in a, a much more commercial role, and as I ended up in a, a GM role, um, working on um, Golden Circle. So taking that learnings that understanding of the PL and what it takes to shape it and improve it, and then I was lucky enough to be appointed into a general manager role of a really challenging business at the time in Golden Circle. Golden Circle, terrific brand, awesome company, um, and had lots of um, great um, brand equity. Mm-hmm. Consumers loved the brand, trusted the brand, um, but we couldn't afford to move on. We had factories that were kind of empty. We had... Um, Formats that were, um, you know, archaic, traditional, yeah. in canning, in plastic. Um, and consumers were looking for more, but we couldn't afford to. Our infrastructure was all laid out from the 60s. Yeah. And so it wasn't right for us. And so I was able to sort of take my commercial experience that I'd had over previous years from those line days right through into the, my general manager role at, at um, on Golden Circle to really help shape with my marketing lens and my commercial lens. Yeah a complete turnaround um, with a really brilliant team of thinkers. But that diversity of understanding through and through from supply chain through to consumer really helped us make some big differences. So we tidied up the factory. um, We took out all the unnecessary sort of what we thought were value added. They weren't. Um, And we we tidied up and then we started to really put our foot down on generating demand. So by doing that, we sort of had a big um, brand growth mm-hmm. um, spurt which was fantastic for the golden circle brand and we started to fill our factory but it was by understanding intimately those sort of levers around the PL that i feel like um, marketers don't always get privy to so that diversity from manufacturing lens finance lens and understanding my consumers so well i think that was great grounding to help me to get to where i am today
0: yeah i mean that's really fascinating you've, you've given yourself well you were you were given through those roles and a complete extra gear, um, mm. based on what you're saying, and yep. and being able to be a marketer who is able to act organisationally and think organisationally doesn't always exist. And and it also interests me. And taking a step back, even before your career, your degree is in marketing, right? Yeah, that's Do right. Do you think marketers should be taught this more, or are, are they being taught it enough?
1: Yeah. So, um, I. I don't believe, so. My, I, I've been in a job now for quite a while yeah, in the good, industry, yeah, yeah, so yes. I'm thinking about quite a, You're quite a while. You're an experienced individual, right? So um, we yeah. are
0: talking a while back that you might have done your degree, but the, obviously people are still doing marketing degrees today. Yes, yes. Um, do you, when you see new junior marketers coming through, mm. do, you, do you see you Such a fabulous discussion?
1: question, because we have a, a graduate program here at Simplot, Yeah. And, um, and I think about the graduates we're bringing on. They're so bright, mm-hmm. really clever, young, um, up-and-coming individuals. And the future does look great with these potentials that I see coming through the ranks. But I, I do think their understanding of what we do is really, really um, rudimentary. And should they be doing many, you know, much more um, time spent in you know, an organisation like ours. I don't know. I think that's probably something that I would encourage more. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't think the courses and it's all about brand management. That's it. Yes. I don't think it's a back end. It's not the commercialisation, um, what it takes to win. I don't think that's as prevalent. So I would, I definitely think that's still a very big gap. I mean, I have to say, my course did not set me up at all well. When I did, when I did commerce and the marketing specialisation, it was about the four Ps.
0: That yeah. But, yeah. So, yeah. I, I mean, there is a, there is a sort of a, a, a... There's two different ways of looking at it. Evolution is one way, of course. Mm-hmm. I mean, the four Ps, again, Going, you're an experienced yeah. individual. That was a while back. But even mm-hmm. then, I, I don't see... And, you know, i work with young marketers sometimes. I, mm-hmm. I don't see that level of... They are in a bit of a purist bubble. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, it's, it's interesting to, to, to have your thoughts. But that, I mean, that is... Um, um, that sort of set you up clearly for, what's, for, for what you're doing right now. Yeah. Um, talk to us a bit about your role at the moment and uh, the, the, the challenges and, and opportunities that you have Yes,
1: so I've been at Simplot now for about seven years and um, just a fabulous organisation. Can't speak highly enough of it. Um, we have some of the best brands in, um, in consumer land. Mm. We've got very, very strong brands like in Bird's Eye, of course. We've got John West, Edgeall. We've got Legos, um, household, well-known household names. Um, been around for decades, you know, stood the test of time and um, here they are still Australia's favourites in their, in their categories. Um, so, so now we have a, a very um, different challenge, I guess. We've got brands that have carried themselves for a long time, lots of clever people building them mm-hmm. over time, but, you know, the brand equity, the awareness um, of these brands is still strong but now we're coming up against a very sort of formidable force. Um, we've got plenty of startups that are kind of, you know, chewing at our heels. Um, we've got our customer brands that are continuing to grow. And definitely with under 35s, there's a real appetite for customer brands, mm-hmm. um, which is a good thing. The competition's great. Um, but I think our brands, our big brands, very mature, well-known brands need to keep evolving. Yeah. And um, so as a marketing group, you know, it's constantly looking at, well, which way do we pivot? Do we try and become a startup? Yeah. No. Um, do we do we learn from startups? Yes. Um, do we understand the opportunities and the roles of our customer brands? Yes, we do. But I think try not to be something we're not. And um, keeping our brands fresh. Our consumers still love our brands, but keeping them fresh is important and relevant. I mm-hmm. mean, um, keeping their place in our hearts and minds, it's just something we've got to keep yeah. working on. So far we're doing a good job. You know, we've got, we've got an unbelievable um, product offering um, that's, you know, predominantly Australian grown or made in Australia. Mm-hmm. We're very, very fortunate with the, the raw ingredients that go into our product ranges um, or sourced from some of the best places around the world. So we know the quality that we bring is strong. We've got an excellent product offering. Um, and so therefore, our brands continue to thrive while the quality remains relevant and, um, and something that consumers continue to seek. So, you know, we've um good team, good company, mm-hmm. and great brands. It's kind of where we
0: are now. Well, you've you've kind of segued a bit into something I was going to ask you about a bit later on. So yeah. I'm now being forced to ad lib. So bear <laughs> with through. me whilst I whilst I whilst I stumble. I do that. But I was gonna, I mean, just expanding on that a bit, um, mm-hmm. because there, that's some really interesting um commentary about your brands where they are, where they could be, and, and your consumers and the love that mm-hmm. they have. I mean i but the, the, I guess there are some other some broader challenges around food trends more more yeah. generally. I mean, I I I'm sort of going to echo what you just said. You know, I've worked with Simplot, um a number of times before, and you know, to me, you're operating a broad portfolio of high quality products, right, mm-hmm. both ambient and frozen. But there have been some trends towards cooking from scratch, towards local providence, mm-hmm. um, and and buy fresh. You know, how do you assess those challenges from a marketing point of view, and and where are you pivoting? Maybe expand a bit on where are you pivoting to sort of move forward?
1: Yeah, the real pivot point actually is in telling the story. Yeah I think um, I think we've got such wonderful stories to tell and and reigniting those stories with the consumers because a lot of our a lot of our um, you know brand lovers of the past, they're still with us, but what's our new stories to tell with the new generations? yeah and and what matters to them now, and that's different to our older consumers. So connecting at a different level, letting them know, did you know that our bird's, bird's eye ranges are, you know, grown right here in Tasmania mm-hmm. and produced for you in Tasmania and the quality of fresh versus frozen and how that stacks up and how that mitigates waste, for example. Yes. You know, we've got such great sustainability stories to yeah. tell. So those factors matter with the younger generations. They matter to all of us, but mm-hmm. particularly our younger generations. So I think it's reigniting those stories. Um, because as our portfolio, you mentioned, um, it is a broad portfolio, but it's really well-placed. Yeah. It's really well-placed on a nutrition level, on an Australian grown level, on quality, um, I think on sustainability. Uh, so I think we, 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 we are ticking a lot of boxes to sort of future-proofing ourselves. Yeah. However, it's the stories, telling it in a way that matters, and I think we've got a job to do on that. Mm. Um, and, you know, from a provenance perspective... We've got such great stories to tell, but, I, you know, Legos and the rich history that we've got across our brands, yeah. the provenance of the fact that we grow our tomatoes, obviously in the Riverina area, we're producing our beautiful Legos pro- products right there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a great provenance story. Yeah, itself. for sure. Um, you know, so I do think we've got these wonderful stories to tell. We just haven't, it's time to retell them.
0: Do you you feel the pressure of balance between keeping your loyal base and retelling those stories? Because I guess thinking about it logically, if you go completely through the line, Mm. those stories could start um, in one place but end up literally by changing your packaging, for example, or changing the look and feel or, or, you know, other elements that are quite visceral to your traditional base. Yeah. how strong do you feel that pressure of balance?
1: Well, we've got lost in that lots of times. Yeah. Um, and my personal experience, projects I've worked on, projects I've led, I've got lost in the moment in the kind of the short-term or the short-sightedness of a challenge. Yeah. Um, and, and often forgetting the, the true brand cr- codes or the DNA of the brand. And so you'll pivot. And before you know it, you stand back and you look at your product range and you go, wow, you're not talking to me at all. It's very disjointed. It's not the one story, Um, and a poor consumer. Where they? What are they thinking of me right now? Um, So I think it's around always coming back to sort of your brand proposition, your brand codes or DNA, some -hmm. people call it, but understanding that and not deviating from that, um, because otherwise you've got multiple messages coming through, and you're trying to be everything to everyone. And um, and as big brands as we have. That is one of the biggest risks that I think marketers face is when you're trying to protect yourself from a startup, protect yourself from customer brands, protect yourself from the competitor next door, be true to yourself, be true to your own brand because otherwise you will end up in a bit of a dog's breakfast one. Yeah, thing,
0: so. act like the leader you are, I guess. It's a, yeah, ab- yeah, absolutely. Let's change gear a bit. Sure. Um, we, and, and sort of drill down a bit into Marcoms and advertising. Um, yeah. We've... The, the industry for want of a better term has been talking for a long time about the, the death of the cookie on Google you know, uh, the, death of the, cookie on Google. the death of the cookie that has been affected by changes that Google and yeah. and, uh, and Apple and others are, are, are making and it's you know it's changing the way the internet works and that you know this is already having a real impact on, on advertising the role of first party data is going to become more important mm. but I'm conscious that in your category when you're operating through retailers, Extensive or valuable first-party consumer data might be harder for you to come by than for some other for mm-hmm. some other categories. Yeah. Um, how how do you how do you deal with that? Is it is it, I mean am I correct in that assumption? And yeah. how are you dealing with that?
1: Yeah. Look, you are absolutely correct. We have um, we have an insane amount of data or access to a insane amount of data here. Uh, we invest heavily in shopper data. Um, and we're very, very fortunate with the richness of the data that we have access to, but we do not have consumer data. Mm. So we have to go out and seek that. And of course, it's expensive. Um, so we, we look at other avenues to, so sometimes, so for example, shopper data, what our shopper's doing out there in the retail world, um, we, we use that as a sort of um, um, an enabler to make decisions yeah. on what's the best way to get through our consumer. Um, we do do um, a lot of research tracking with consumers, panel data, for example. Mm-hmm. But it's not that timely. It's not, um, you know... I it, know. We're it's not as fortunate as some of the other industries out there that do have that timely immediacy yeah. of what their consumers' decisions are and they're, what they're thinking and feeling. But we have other ways to connect. So, um, you know, we use our social media platforms to understand consumer sentiment. We track that. We understand it's... It's difficult in our in our industry.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, we do other things, though, to try and get really in-depth. Um, as an example, we might go um, and spend time with consumers as they shop through the in-home. So every year as a marketing group, we try and do something like that mm-hmm. um, just to get much closer to the consumer and remember who they are. Yeah. Um, I do think that um, we talk about me-search, but often I do find myself uh, guiding some of our younger marketers who are you know new to the... Industry wanting to make changes to product offerings or ranges in line with what they like. <laughs> of course, it's such <laughs> not, a, com- that's such not a common. Not the consumer
0: and agencies as well. Come very very common. Yeah, um, The yeah. consumer can be completely different. Of yeah, course. that's yeah.
1: right. So just staying really close and keeping them front and centre. Um, it's just the timeliness of it. Yeah. We we that's a real gap for us.
0: Yeah, it's uh, there's no there's no easy fix to it, is there? I guess I know you. I mean, you haven't mentioned some of the other things you do more granularly to track. Um, I mean, you're using um, econometric modelling, for example, or, yeah. or, or medium at least But, it's not, time. but it's, it's not immediate. But yeah, it's not yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's There's still, a, there's still yeah. a lag, I guess.
1: As I said, we've got really rich data. It's yeah. just the timeliness. So even econometric modelling, we get that a couple of times a year. Yeah. Consumer panels, a couple of times a year. Yeah. You know, it's not like today. So um, I understand that the sentiment data we do get is only from socials. And, um, and it's only if we sort of try and engage that way, we may get some feedback mm. in an immediate way, but the scale is small.
0: Do you think these changes are going to affect the way you advertise?
1: Um,
0: in terms of uh, investment into channels and, and...
1: Look, we're changing now anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the world is changing and what we've just seen through, you know, the last two years, or almost two years now, um, consumers are, are engaging with media differently. Mm. Um, this this sort of multi screens approach has just never been more prevalent, and um, and their ability for for them to skip you has mm. never been more easy.
0: Yes.
1: So um, yeah, we've got to find new ways to engage. Funnily, we're talking a lot about QR codes here. Right. And um, I remember two years ago, our agency bringing us an opportunity for QR, QR codes technology, yes. and we were like, it's so old. No-one yeah. uses QR codes. It's 25-year-old technology. no when you Here we are. All rely on, on QR codes. Yeah. So, um, mm. and, you know, every generation in Australia knows how to use them now because you have to, right? 70-plus, 80-plus, they yeah. have to know how to use it. So um, we are really reassessing the older technologies, technologies are, which has become a way of life today, but also being ready for what's the next level because what we think is... 10 years out is probably ready next year. You know.
0: That you're absolutely right. I think that's a very common thing. This this the sense that COVID, for one of a better term, the last two years has just accelerated the 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 requirement for digital transformation in business. Correct. Yeah. Um that's putting pressure on that's a challenge mm-hmm. for everyone, but a massive opportunity as well, I guess. Mm-hmm. And you can't, I don't think you can kick the can down the road on it because you're gonna no. get lost pretty quickly.
1: Yeah. And I think too, you know, this this expertise of where that all lived, that was sitting with our media partners for so long, Yeah, we now, everyone's getting access to this and understanding it. And So there's, you know, there's a real desire to move fast. Mm. So throughout our organisation, everyone's, I constantly get a, oh, would you consider this? Why don't you do that? Oh, my mum was using this. <laughs> so it's kind of now yeah. that it's, everyone has access to data. Yes. We can all get it. So knowing how to um, connect with our consumers in a compelling way, when they're ready to, you know, to engage with us, um, I think our agencies are going to really need to be onto that fast mm. and adapt. Um, will will our kind of, we know the power of media at the moment because we do track it. So, econometric kind of modeling continues to tell us where to spend, where's the most impactful, what mediums to use, where our best dollar was spent. Um, but that's moving fast. What the feedback we got from econometric modelling this year, so different to last year, cool. which was so different to the year before. Yeah. So it is evolving quickly.
0: So let's keep that in mind as, and, and, and talk about a sort of related topic. And particularly in context of the last two years, actually, the one constant with all this change that we've just been talking yeah. about, um, the one constant that you need to deal with are the retailers, mm-hmm. and particularly the big two retailers. Yeah. Um. And you know, this dynamic between retail and, and marketing, I, in, in my own career, I've had some experience, not anywhere near yours, but some experience in the sector. I've worked with Kraft and then Mondelez and General Mills and a couple of others. Um, and when I was on the agency side working with them, whilst we were able to run some interesting campaigns and strategies, one of the abiding dynamics was the power of the retailers to dictate sometimes just the approach, the budget, if you want ranging, you need to put x amount of dollars on TV, and that's it. And it was very sort of they had a very simplistic view, um, or in store, of course, was yeah. the other was the other big the other big channel. Um, has this evolved over time? Yeah. Are they, look, are they more Are they more willing to listen to the some of the nuances we've just been talking about?
1: Yeah. Oh, so the answer to that is absolutely. It's evolved. Yeah. I think you know I've seen this big shift in my career from what was a very consumer centric world. Brands led the charge. And, um, and there was an outright rejection at the time of con- customer brands. And so you needed brands to win. Um, and what our customers have quickly worked out is they have a brand too and their brands are really powerful. Yeah. And, um, and c- consumers love their brands. And so I think it's understanding the power of brands collectively and the way that we work together. Um, I think as, as FMCG organisations you know, across Australia, we... Have also identified how important, and it sounds obvious, but how important our customer is to us, because we can't win without our customer, and a customer normally, commonly, couldn't win without their suppliers, of yes. course. So it's how do you work together for the same goal? And um, I think that is the era we're in today.
0: So which, that which is good, because that I remember it being quite adversarial. I mean, well, I'm going back it has ten been. years, right? You no, know, it has yeah. been.
1: It has been. The, the, they're, they're, I don't know it's not if it's power balance or it's our customer becoming a lot more sophisticated and data has helped them with that. Um, their brand strength has helped them with that. Mm-hmm. But it's also meant to Australian manufacturers, you know what, step up, yeah. don't be complacent, and, um, and make sure your brands need to be on those shelves. Yes. Not just because they can, they need to be on those shelves. The, the shopper demands it. Mm-hmm. So I think that that shift in power meant we had to step up. And so here we are now, I think we're in a different era. And the era now of that working together um, but not being complacent, that is the one thing that I think either customer or, or supplier, mm-hmm. neither of us can be complacent because there is a competitor around the corner, there is someone willing to take your spot. Yeah. So it's a complacency that you've, I think is um, It's kind of the catalyst that the weaker, those that have been complacent have become weaker mm-hmm. and obviously lost their place.
0: How has COVID affected things from a retailer perspective? Clearly, uh, you know, when grocery retailers, people stripping the shelves and, and uh, mm. those businesses being pretty much the only thing open for weeks at a time. Yeah. Um, has that power dynamic changed at all? Have they become... Uh, how conscious have they been with, with that strength over the last couple of years?
1: I think... I, I, I genuinely do think our retailers have used... Um, you know the footprint that they have, and the role that they play in in society. They've used it for good. Mm. Um, I really do, and I think I just as a consumer myself, seeing what the retailers were able to achieve, um, and and the <laughs> the sense of um, standardisation or process that they introduced from QR codes to limits on products, toilet yeah. paper. We yeah. all saw that. I you know, I, I saw almost two are working together. So from a consumer perspective, I really welcomed the way that our retailers stood up and responded. Mm. Um, I think the level of communication to their suppliers was excellent.
0: Yeah.
1: But equally, they were tough on their suppliers. They needed to be because they were feeding Australians at yeah. the time. Um, but I think it was, you know, making sure that we knew the enormity of the issue and, and that we responded. Mm. So I think... Um, As a corporation, I think we did an excellent job. I'm really proud of what the team were able to achieve. You know, we're dealing with raw materials here. So, you know, with the surge that was going on, you you can't just grow, I don't know, more More properly tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So um, I think the way that the team responded here was excellent. Um, But it was that lines of communication. Again, it comes back to that collaboration between the two. So Mm. I think the communication was excellent. Everybody knowing their role taking up that role and responding to make sure that Australians were, you know, able to keep their pantries full was excellent. Um, And interesting too, right, what happened in that period of time, all these product ranges that consumers had forgotten about, canned vegetables. That's
0: right, suddenly people were were out of
1: control. We were just, we were seeing people just absolutely clean out the shelves with canned vegetables and on social media, the ignition of recipes used around canned corn or beetroot or chickpeas was phenomenal. So yeah. it was a really, um, if I could take a positive out of the situation, it was it really ignited a love for these great products that have been kind of hibernating for many decades. Mm. So there was a great value that came out of retail as well.
0: And I must admit, I, I, I really agree with you those comments about retailers and how they've dealt with it. Everything from, because of the enormity of their footprint across Australia, yeah. the, the everything from the front of house technology that they had to instill through to the the, the massive complexities with supply chain and and, yeah. and, and demand and distribution everything else but also all their staff that who have essentially became frontline workers of a kind mm. i mean public facing yeah, open it. all hours mm. during the pandemic yeah um, that's right so i think i mean the, there must have been massive complexity behind that that as well keeping them yeah, safe
1: I, I was really impressed yeah. i think they've done a fabulous job so um, and I think the industry as a whole, the food industry as a whole, you know, it adapted. Mm. It really adapted. And I think some industries that, um, you know, we saw it in the food service sector obviously was closed for across many states for, you know, long periods of time and they adapted to a delivery space. Or in some cases they adapted to be like a, a retailer themselves. Yeah. Um. So we saw some of our food service customers adapt and shift into more retailing. And where consumers could go direct to buy product from them. Yes. Um, fabulous. Yeah. Fabulous. So, I think the sector, um, in itself, um, adapted, showed great agility, um, but also some of those shifts you might argue might be with us forever now.
0: Yeah. Obviously. Okay. I mean, yeah. How much will that become a permanent trend? And, and look, changes, changes, yeah. good if it's online if sales. Yes, you know,
1: I think um, many households have moved to that and just realised how fabulous that is. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. and
0: the retailers have to step up as a result. Yeah. Um Okay, that's great. I think um, I probably I'm conscious of time actually because uh, we're coming up to the half hour. But let's let's talk about a couple of topics quickly that I'm I'm I ask all of my marketing mm-hmm. guests at the moment. Um, first off, being the role of agencies, Let, let's talk a bit about that sure. because. We met originally through, yeah, through agencies, and, and you know, do you think – you've sort of talked about this a bit already, but there's never been a bigger point of shift for agencies right now, the, the complexity that they're facing um, mm. uh, as well as their clients. Um, do you think they're doing enough to evolve to the changing needs of marketers? And I'm talking broadly here, not, yeah, not sure. about your agency no, specifically, no. but um, – what have you seen that's great coming out of agencies and, and what really needs to still evolve, do you think?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I think agencies have shifted now, mm-hmm. but I think it was a chicken and egg scenario. Supplier, you know, the client side, we, our briefs were very traditional and I guess assumed traditional outcomes like mm-hmm. TV yeah, mainstream, and the appetite for taking risk was probably low. And so when I talk about taking risk, you know things like TikTok, yeah, it was like, well, I don't think we should do that. Bit risky. Whereas now, <laughs> that's what most people were doing during lockdown. But um, I, I think why I talk like that is because what has it's almost given our ages permission to be a lot more adaptive, a lot more creative. Um, look in territories to engage with consumers that we've not looked before, or they may have looked, but the client has said, oh, that's just too risky for us. We're not going to go there. Mm. Or we don't have the appetite. Uh, I think the data is there that helps us to, to track. So these test and learn opportunities, we've got the data to say that worked, that didn't. Yeah. So that's fabulous. But the appetite from the client side is definitely there. We know that we've got to adapt with our consumers and our agencies, they're the experts. So I think the appetite's there, I'm just going to encourage, get there ahead of us. So use all the data that you have and, and understand, you know, how you can shift us as a, as a client. I think our appetite's definitely changed. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I'm not just talking us simpler, I'm talking about the industry. And, um, and when we look at our competitors and we just look at FMCG players across the board, predominantly the kind of a, a standard way to communicate and I think it's time for change. It it was two years ago, yeah. um, but it had been slowly building before that. So now I'm just, I guess I'm giving agencies permission to go harder, faster. And uh, and that's where I think when we went into lockdown the very first time, and a lot of clients were pulling funds. Mm. You know, the data tells us it was a great time to probably double down. Yeah. But that, that voice probably could have come maybe stronger through our agencies as another example
0: yeah I I'm thinking about restructuring that question for my next interview because you're absolutely right to talk about it it's a double-edged sword and it's mm-hmm. a two-way street of mm-hmm. course two analogies there but um, um, the evolution of, of organizations has to has to happen yeah in line or even before the the, the evolution of, of um, uh, agencies certainly they try sometimes with greater success than mm-hmm. than others I mean organisationally at Simplot you I mean, clearly there are um, things you can do in marketing, but then presumably things like corporate compliance and regulation and and legal and at some point, those guys have to be involved, I would imagine, to to, to get stuff. Have you seen shifts in you? When you say shifts, it's simpler. Are you talking organisationally to appetite for change of this nature or does it not really register and it's very much a marketing thing?
1: Um, No, absolutely. I think um, marketing's... Pretty integrated at um, at the senior level mm. of at at Simplot. Um, I think I'm saying just gen- generally across the industry is where the appetite's changing. At Simplot alone, I mean these brands we have, they're big brands. Yeah. So we we are very not cautious with them, but we protect them. Yes. And And our role as marketers to actually keep them strong and protect them. They're big, and very important assets um just like we do with our big factories and and the rest of our asset base you know these are really important and and our brands are at, at the end of the day what sets us apart from our competitors so we do have to look after them so in big organizations i guess that can drive a behavior which can be sort of a risk averse way of working and um and so for now um not unique to Simplot, but I do think that we probably have been safe in a lot of our choices, um, again, as an industry, I think. Yeah. Um, I think the power of what's shifting in the media um, um, platforms available to us is that you can still play well, but just do it in, you know, we've just got so many more choices. Yeah, of course, yeah. And so this option to take risk, I think there's a different appetites appearing because um the accessibility of different media channels like we've, we've got all of us are seeing it you know yes. that's what i'm saying it's so prevalent yes. now so i think there's more of an appetite
0: yeah and look driven as we've been saying throughout by the last two years particularly Correct. um what do you think about the future what, what if you think two three years there we've had two years of pronounced change i mean we're sitting in your beautiful massive office here pretty Empty. much the only two people Empty. here <laughs> this that change hasn't finished yet we don't know mm. what's going to happen with, with mm. this virus but um um, looking forward, what are the what what should a, a CMO like yourself be doing? Um, do you think what are the big buckets that you've got to watch out for? Yeah,
1: technology is yeah. technology is the number one driver of change right now. Martech, you mean? Or, yes, yeah. it is coming fast and furious, and um, you know I've sat through so many forums of late like, to try and get, get a grip on it. I can't keep up. You know what's available to us, what's shifting quickly. Consumers accessibility. Consumers are just so fast paced right now, yeah. and so how do I lead the team um, to keep our brains fresh in front of mind where they want to be? Mm. Um, I think it's that that is one of my biggest challenges. Yeah. Agencies need to support me on that. On that, um, the simplicity of as I was saying, even just like AR for, for just as an example, um, you know, consumers may never step outside their house. Yeah. So how does AR in their home play a role? You know, for example, they get these, they, you know, they either through shopping or understanding sustainability of a product or whatever it might be. Small, small example, but I think that's just the way we engage with product is changing. Um, the way we engage with media is changing. Um, but it's just so rapid now. Yeah. It's just so rapid. So I think you're going to have to be ready to be agile, mm-hmm. um, keep data-driven. That's my number one goal. It's like yeah. I've just got to look at the data all the time and be guided by the data. Mm-hmm. Um, marketing instincts always going to play a role, I have to say. I can't help it. Maybe that's because I'm old school. I have still great instinctive strength um, that I use, but the data is got to be your best friend.
0: But I think added to that something you said earlier on at the start um, about being uh, true to yourself strategically and, and true to you know behaving... To your brand. To yeah. your brand, because... Mm-hmm. One of the challenges is with all of this complexity, you just you can almost get sort of overwhelmed, overwhelmed yeah. with with the amount of choice there. So keeping the, the strategic focus and not, not deviating from that whilst being agile at the same time, mm-hmm. I guess, um, is but something to balance. We're doing a lot of that
1: now. It's really interesting. You know, we're taking some of our brands and um, we're splitting more purposefully. Regardless of what econometric modelling has guided us with, we're doing more tests and learns in different new spaces. And then econometric modelling will tell us whether that was useful or not. Um, But we are deliberately playing in spaces that we've not before. Um, But I have to say the brand and the proposition and the messaging is still true to brand. But the way we engage with it is kind of a bit more, you know, challenging to traditional standards, you know. So we are doing things differently. But I do think, um, yeah, no scattergun. Mm. No scattergun That doesn't work for anybody. Yeah. So it's not about just throw caution to the wind. Exactly. <laughs> it's okay. gotta be purposeful.
0: It's gotta be purposeful. That's a good that's a good place to stop. Let's be purposeful. One last question before I go. Uh if you were to leave Simplot tomorrow, what's your dream, Brand, to work on?